Today's readings are Psalm 88 and 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16. They can be found on pages 548 and 1125 of the Bibles next to your seats as well as on the screen. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all of your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness, or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry out to you for help, Lord. In mourning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. It's the word of the Lord. I invite you to join me as we begin uh, with a word of prayer. Let us pray. God of grace, as we come into this room and we come from so many different places, Would you, in a sense, meet us in our journey? Would you meet us in a way that we walk away knowing that you have spoken to us, that you care, that you are relevant to what we are going through, to what our journey has been like? Whether that's a, you know, walking in here with a with a sort of a feeling like, what am I doing here? The words on the screen, the songs, some of the statements, the prayers, they they just they're foreign to me. And I just have, haven't gotten to that kind of place. Don't know if I ever can. 
Or we come in here and, and we want to believe, but we can't. The, the situation and circumstances are, seem to be working against the sort of vibrant faith that we wish we had, or maybe we once had. And others of us come with answered prayer and joy, and we, haven't, we didn't realize um, that a relationship with you could, could be this vibrant and rich. And we're so thankful, and that gratitude is flowing out in unselfish behavior. And we come from all these different places, and the truth is, God, as you see us, we're all, we all have one thing in common. We're all in the same boat. Each of us is more of a mess than we care to admit. And, and you respond to this situation of our mess by moving towards us with your grace. Would you pre, uh, speak to us and teach us with that grace that can change and transform our hearts this morning? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, the series is How People Change. The message series, the book by the same name, same title by Timothy Lane and Paul Tripp is available in the back. One of our community pods, which are our small groups, has been going through this book together. And it's been pretty in, um, good on all, all counts. Um, when I, I tell stories to my two boys uh, before bedtime, it's part of the ritual and the routine and... Uh, so there are recurring characters just to make my job a little easier. You have these common threads I can keep coming back to in these characters. One of the characters actually is a, a pair. It's a set of characters. Two boys who are friends and they live across the street from each other. There's um, Opie Optimistic on one side of the street and Perry Pessimistic on the other side of the street. And you can kind of, you know, sense how those stories might go. They get into adventures or situations and they have two very different takes on, on what's happening. And then you kind of see usually Opie optimistic, um, I think just because I'm a very optimistic person in general, um, he always kind of wins out and his, his half glass, uh, glass half full mentality always kind of ends up being the better way to go. So you have this Opie optimistic and Perry pessimistic. And Perry pessimistic, um, he'll often go into sort of a monologue about how terrible things are, and it always ends with the same catchphrase, we're all going to die. <laughs> and, uh, and so it's pretty hard to take Perry pessimistic very seriously after a while in these stories. So every once in a while he has to be right in one of the stories, um, not about dying necessarily, but about how, ter- <laughs> but how terrible the situation was so that, you know, he's not just a, kind of a straw man in my stories. And I wonder if, for you, the season of Lent, as you look at it, is sort of um, uh, a peri-pessimistic, kind of easy-to-write-off um, sort of dynamic. Uh, the idea that, you know, may, this seems just so negative, like almost we're desiring to linger um, in the darkness. Um, with maybe you notice in Lent we focus a little more on our mess and on our need for God and you might cynically kind of look at that and say this is just a very uh, negative um, anthropology that we're focusing on for several weeks here. Is there something I should be doing here with the clicking? Jason, what do you think? Okay, I'll just keep going. I can't really do anything up here. So. Um, and maybe you notice Psalm 88, not the most upbeat, optimistic psalm. <laughs> Anybody notice that? Um, and maybe you look at this and go, 
whoa, what is up with this prayer? You just can't imagine yourself entering into this. It's so negative. It's so dark. It doesn't seem to have any hope. And so you wonder, where is this all going? What does this have to do with how I change and how people change? In this book, authors Tripp and Lame, they have a basic kind of structure of this idea of change. Why don't we go ahead and put the graphic up on the screen? They have this picture of two kinds of trees and two pictures of a spiritual life. One is bearing good fruit, and one is kind of producing thorns. And as we talked about last week, Nick was here discussing kind of the roots and where they go and what kind of water they're tapped into. Even in drought, you know, you might produce good fruit, depending on where your roots are. Notice at the top of the diagram, there's this word. I don't know if you can see it. Heat. And the question underneath it is, what is your situation? And what the authors of the book are going with is the idea that there is, in this world, there is heat that comes your way. Or as Psalm 88 goes with, the same kind of idea, but just a different metaphor, darkness. There's heat. There's darkness. You know, in your life, you get the diagnosis from a doctor or someone in your family does. It's the one in 10,000 kind of diagnosis that has you, from here on out, having to veer your journey over this way when all your hopes were headed over here. You've put all of your stock, all of your life, all of your time and your effort and your money into this life goal and this central path. And suddenly, circumstances take place such that, you can take the diagram down now, such that now you realize you have to completely shut off the door to this route. It's not even possible anymore. And all your hopes were over here. And things have just turned out such that now it's not the way you're going anymore. Would you want to do a little microphone switch real quick? There's the light. So we'll see about that. Um, Darkness, heat. Where's my train of thought? Nothing like a technical glitch to throw you off completely. Um, You know, what is the heat going to look like? What is the darkness going to look like like in your life? What is the circumstances? Is is there going to be one small mistake that in most of the times in most people's life doesn't really do anything and just kind of everything turns out fine regardless of it? But for you, that one little mistake at just the wrong time and just the right wrong circumstances kind of just throws everything out of whack in your life in the direction things are going. Or the life that looked really promising and really full of joy and the things that were a part of your life that were so promising, suddenly you have to mourn the loss of. Heat. Darkness. And what do you need? What do you need in in that? What do you need when the heat is pressing down on you so that it can be transformative in, in bringing about a fruitful kind of a life instead of thorns? 
What do you need? I think we, we sense instinctively that what you don't need is sort of cliched religious optimism. You know, the, the quoting of Scripture. I, I think you sense you don't need that when, you're, when the heat is pressing down on you. I think you sense you don't need to bring that to those around you when the heat is pressing down. And I think we all sense in the last week and a half that even on a broader scale, what our world needs when, you know, what Japan needs is not cliched religious optimism, but something else. And thankfully, the Bible doesn't settle for that either. And so you have this quote uh, from the book on page 96. It's also in your worship guide on page 4. I love this quote where they say, The Bible doesn't offer a sanitized version of life or our reactions to it. Dark, shocking, and painful stories abound. Scripture shows us people who think, act, plan, decide, and speak just like we do. If the Bible left out these real-life stories of murder, rape, famine, disease, judgment, depression, war, adultery, theft, corruption, and overwhelming fear, how likely would we be to believe that God's Word could help us? And so... So the question really becomes, is for you, when the heat is pressing down or when it will press down in your life and when the darkness threatens to snuff out all light, will the heat be anything like the transformative, life-changing picture that it can be? Or will it be a part of you slowly, internally dying a slow, cynical death? There are ways, there are ways, very common ways that we find ourselves not growing in the midst of heat. And one of the reasons is we take the path of avoidance. We like to avoid this kind of raw grappling with reality that we see in Psalm 88. We like to avoid it. Now, there's a lot of things in Scripture that you might want to, that the very convenient and to your, very convenient to avoid. Very, you know, with a strong de- desire to avoid certain things in Scripture, certain threads, certain principles that we see. Um, the idea that you find throughout Scripture that sexuality um, is is designed to fit within this kind of legal covenant, public covenant between a man and a woman. Um, things like the idea that our money is really actually seen as a gift from God, and so we might as well treat it that way and kind of give it away freely to show our lack of trust in it in the sense that we're stewards. You know, these kinds of threads, the idea that really your spiritual caliber, in a sense, could best be judged by how you approach those who are in need right around you day in and day out. These are things that convenient to kind of just... They just kind of get in our face a little bit. But why would we choose to also kind of avoid the Psalm 88 kind of approach? And I think we do. I think we're honest. We avoid this kind of raw grappling with reality. Why? Well, I think some of it's just because if we would write a, a prayer for the darkness and the heat, we would write it differently than this. 
I think we would want to embed in this prayer some way in which through our own efforts and the own exertion of our own spiritual energy, we're going to get ourselves out of this darkness. We're going to shine our light a little harder, God. God, perhaps this is in some way punishment for me, but I'm going to show you how good I can be. I'm going to deserve better than this. I'm going to get rid of this by da-da-da-da-da-da. That's how we would prefer to write it. And what does Psalm 88 leave us with? It leaves us lingering about in the darkness, waiting for God's mercy. Quite frankly, we prefer a game plan. We prefer, um, even, if, even if I do write it up as, yeah, maybe I'm guilty of, maybe I deserve this, that at least suggests maybe I can not deserve it by trying a little harder. This psalm doesn't do either one. It doesn't say, all this is because I deserve it, nor does it say, I'm going to climb my way out of it. Lingering waiting in the raw reality of darkness for God to bring his mercy. So check, check your own life and think about this fact. Have you in any way avoided s- grappling with darkness in your own life, with the heat that you've been through in your life? We can sit here with wounds and scars still creating a sort of uh, mess in our outlook because we've never grappled with the raw reality. We've never prayed through them in the way that Psalm 88 prays through the heat and prays through the darkness. Um, The way that uh, these authors put it on on page 96 again, our unresolved uh, feelings, and this is how your heat can be not growth if you don't process it in the Psalm 88 kind of way. Our unresolved feelings become our interpretations of life. Emotions morph into conclusions, and we end up not believing the things we say we believe. Very insightful quote, very insightful statement about how not grappling with the raw reality of the heat in your life can have you ending up more cynical and not growing through the situations you go through. But we also, maybe you don't avoid, another very common thing is to control. In fact, your, your MO in life can be to control your way out of situations. It, when the heat comes, when the darkness comes, when the difficulty's there, when you feel like there's a trial, when you feel like the pressure's on and things aren't going your way, you find some little foothold to climb your way out of it. Whatever kind of small part of the equation you can control, you can plan, you can orchestrate a way out. It can, kind of, it can be your whole way of life in a sense you can your your idol your savior can be planning and control and it's one of the shocking things um, if you've grappled with the news over the last week and a half is the idea of uh, thousands of people carefully controlling planning their life diligently wisely setting themselves up for their chil- their future and their children's future and the movement of the earth's crust washes it all away. And, it, you know, it doesn't have to be a catastrophic world event. This little example from the book. When he was summoned to his boss's office that morning, he thought it was for a raise. His plan had worked. He'd wanted to establish his career, save some money, and then think about getting married and having a family. He had been very successful. In fact, he was the youngest person ever to run a design team. There had even been talk about a bonus and being named director of the design department. He had always had a good relationship with his boss, so he looked forward to talking about his future with the company. 
As he entered the office, his boss was more serious than usual. That was odd. The design team had just entered uh, or had just completed work on a cutting-edge product. It had cost a lot of personnel time and company money, but they were about to roll out the prototype. I've got bad news, his boss began. The company had thought uh, the company they or the product they thought was unique had just been introduced by another company. They had been so focused on design that they had neglected market research. It was a costly error that threatened the entire company's survival. He heard words he never thought he would hear. I'm going to have to let you go. And frankly, I don't know if you'll ever work in this industry again. His life was over. His career or his carefully laid plans shattered by one conversation. It didn't seem possible, but it surely, and it surely didn't feel real. But the months to come would demonstrate just how real it was. Uh, in just a couple pages over from Psalm 88... There's Psalm 94, where um, a not very often memorized verse is found. It says in verse 11 of Psalm 94, The Lord knows all human plans. Starts off kind of nice. The Lord knows all human plans. He knows that they are futile. <laughs> Ouch. And if you at all find your, find your salvation in your future in planning it out, in controlling the factors, that hits you right in the gut. Do you trust your control over the future? Are you planning uh, your life and finding your salvation there? The Bible actually leads us on a path that says you find growth in acknowledging the futility of your plans. That's where growth is, especially when the heat comes down. There's a third way, too, just briefly, a third way we avoid Psalm 88 and Psalm, the Psalm 88 kind of grappling with reality. We, we like to wear masks. We like to pretend that what's going on is not really going on, and we like to prioritize externals, even in the midst of some of the most difficult things that we might go through. I think we just have to acknowledge our draw towards that and at the same time point out it's failure to really be a path of growth. This is, um, this is how the authors say Psalm 88 leads us out of that. No psalm, they say on page 100, no psalm more powerfully communicates, come to me as you are with all your doubt and fear and pain and discouragement. Hold, be, hold before me your shattered hopes and dreams and find redemption and rest when it seems there is none to be found. Don't hesitate because your heart is weak and your mind confused. Don't hesitate because you have questioned my goodness and love. Come as you are, for my sacrifice is for you, just as you are. The authors say this kind of honesty before God is meant to be a part of our worship and our life. What a helpful and hopeful invitation. We do not have to be... We do not have to put on spiritual masks to approach God. We come as we are. His love is sturdy and His grace is sufficient. So, so looking at thinking about yourself, uh, what what's what's your approach? If there's three routes to avoiding or to um, kind of not going down the Psalm 88 path, there's the avoidance, there's the control, there's the mask. What's your route? And in a sense, what's your route towards not finding the growth that you can find in life? 
it may be, you know, I've listened in on some stuff this week that that is Psalm 88 kind of stuff. Um, things that uh, make me realize that we, we go through periods in life when we need desperately to know that this psalm exists and this way of praying has been given to us, not re- carefully removed from the scripture uh, canon because it's a little too dark and a little too raw. So whether that's you right now that you need that or whether that's going to be you next week or in five years or in ten years, will you, will you, instead of avoiding, instead of controlling, instead of wearing a mask, will you come to the Psalm 88 path and walk through this prayer? And as we look at it, what do we see? You know, um, in Romans 8, verse 22... Um, there's a groaning that's referred to, all creation groaning. And I think that Psalm 88 is that kind of groaning put into words. Romans 8 puts it this way. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Some of you are saying, now I know the Apostle Paul wrote Romans. And um, so this is a man saying he thinks he can compare childbirth pains to... uh, Make a metaphor out of it. I know those of you who had children are thinking that. Um, but let's, let's forgive him for that and just go with the metaphor. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And so if you're going to groan along with creation when the darkness comes, when the heat comes, when you're going to groan a Psalm 88 kind of way, what are you going to find? You're going to find actually in the Psalm a chorus. Did you notice it? In verses 1 to 2, in verse 9, in verse 13... It goes like this. I cry out to you, verse 1. Verse 9, I call to you, Lord. Verse 13, I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. There is a consistent cry, crying out for help. The, this is a prayer that says, as much as the draw is there to be cynical and to shut down towards the possibility of a good God, I'm going to stubbornly cling to God as my help. To trust in God is a legitimate route to making my way through the darkness. That's the first thing you see. The second thing you see as you look at this prayer is you you run into things like verse 5. Very dark. Talk of the grave and the dead. And people who are remembered no more and cut off from God's presence. Christians, as we look at prayer... And as, as if you become a Christian, you begin to look at both prayer and Scripture through a very important interpretive principle, which is the cross of Jesus. And so even as you pray your own prayers, and even as you look at prayers in Scripture, you see them a little differently, and there's little light bulbs that go off. And when you hit verse 5, and you see talk of the grave, and you see talk of being cut off from God's care, a light bulb goes off and you, you say, wait a minute, this sounds a little familiar. Isn't it Jesus who was cut off from God's care? Isn't that the story of what Jesus brings to us that the church celebrated and embraced that in Jesus, that cutting off that you sometimes feel is taken from you and you're not cut off and the Son is, is uh, distanced and cut off from the Father and surrounded by darkness. Even literally, as Jesus is on the cross, we read in the Gospels that it was physically dark outside. 
and darkness surround him. And darkness was his only friend because it's not going to be your only friend. What is his becomes ours on the cross. So you read this and you realize that although this reality of darkness seems to be cutting me off from God and making my faith seem to shrink and completely get snuffed out, there is a deeper reality that I can hold to and cling to proven on the cross. God's love for me. As you move on through this psalm, you also notice, or, yeah, you also notice in this prayer um, that in verses 10 through 12, the psalmist is um, really just grappling with and just really not believing that good can come out of this and saying, do, do the dead rise up to praise God? Almost with a little bit of sarcasm, like, you've got me over here with those who are dying. This is the path towards death, and the death don't rise up to praise you. Come on. Another light bulb goes off. Because why, does, why did the Christian movement even spark and begin to take off? Is because Jesus himself rose from the dead, and people who saw him dead saw him again alive, and that became the foundation for in the picture, and really just the first glimpse, because our world is still very messed up and broken, but the first glimpse of how God is beginning to put it back together, that, that there is new life possible that is now those who are in Christ find. And so you read this, and a light bulb goes off. Do the dead rise up to praise you, verse 10? Wait a minute, Yes. And suddenly, uh, all the darkness and the heat that's pressing down on us, even when it threatens to extinguish our very lives, it doesn't have the last word. When the waves, when the terrorizing waves come into the coast and, and take bodies out to sea, the waves don't have the last say over those people because there is a resurrection power now in Christ and the dead shall rise to praise God. And as you read on, you find the real negativity mounting. In verse 16, the psalmist says, um, Your wrath has swept over me. And on the cross, what do we say? Another light bulb goes off with the word, just that word wrath. As Christians have declared that the wrath of the Father was transferred to the Son. That... You've got to admit that quite often we don't respond to darkness perfectly and we answer darkness with our own darkness and sometimes we even, out of our own hearts, the darkness is created for ourselves that surrounds us and that there's a sense of genuine culpability that we have to acknowledge before God. And the answer to, to that fear of wrath that we're entertaining when we say that is the answer of the cross where the wrath is transferred to Christ. And the, the heaviness of that is no longer on you as you address God and as you come towards Him. So what this, prayer, what this um, psalm does um, is it leads us to a certain kind of praying towards the darkness and the heat of this world. And I invite you to think about it this way. I invite you to think about it as simply following Jesus by praying this kind of a way and being willing to pray this way for yourself and for others who you, who you are getting in the ditch with in their suffering. And I say it that way that it's, you know, many of you, you're, you're exploring following Jesus or you've been following Jesus for a long time. 
to follow Jesus is to pray this way, to pray like Jesus prayed, because when the darkness was closed in around him and it was, I don't know if you, you don't notice actually in this psalm, but the final word in Hebrew is actually darkness. Darkness has the final word in this psalm if you look at the structure in the Hebrew language. And Jesus prays this kind of prayer of darkness when he voices on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's actually from Psalm 22, but it's a very Psalm 88 kind of prayer. And I invite you to follow Jesus in that kind of praying so that you too, in your heat and in the darkness of this world, you might find a dying to your old self and a rising to to new life into joy, into breakthroughs in ways that you've longed to break through, even here and now in this world, for change. I invite you to pray that way, and will you pray with me now as we close? God of grace, make these words real in our life, fix them into our hearts, and in a sense, rehabituate us away from avoidance and control and masking towards an authenticity that deals with reality an authenticity that brings the light of your grace in, through the cross. It brings that grace into our situation. It gives us hope. It gives our world hope. And gives us a kind of language to get in the ditch with others in their brokenness, in their mess, and in their suffering. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.